0: Hi, this is Dave Pryor. You're about to listen to my interview with Gil Broza about his new book, Deliver Better Results. This is the first of two interviews we've done on the book. There was only supposed to be one, but I got so wrapped up in the conversation and intrigued by one particular aspect of it that I asked Gil if he would do a second one. So that one should be out in about a week or so. Gil specializes in helping tech leaders deliver better results by upgrading their organization's agile ways of working. He also supports their non-software colleagues in creating real business agility in their teams. He's helped over 100 organizations achieve real, sustainable improvements by working with their unique value delivery contexts and focusing on mindset, culture, and leadership. Companies invite Gil in to assist with leadership as they work on strategy and organizational change and also to provide keynotes for internal events. Throughout the podcast, Gil and I reference a bunch of different things, including other interviews with him about the book and where you can buy the book itself, and you will find links to all of that in the show notes for this podcast. And now, before we get started, I just have a couple seconds of shameless self-promotion. I have a bunch of classes coming up, and there's three in particular that I want to highlight. I'm going to be co-facilitating an ACSPO. That's an advanced CSPO class with my friend Richard Cheng on February 29th and March 1st from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be conducted live online, so anywhere on this planet, you can still attend. Um, getting your ACSPO is a great way to step up your game and demonstrate some expertise, stand out from the crowd. And also, if you've let your CSPO lapse, getting your ACSPO will renew it. I'm also doing a couple in-person classes. So I will be in Atlanta on March 4th and 5th doing a CSM and a CSPO on March 6th and 7th. So there's links to both of those also in the show notes. And I hope to either see you in the ACSPO or one of the classes in Atlanta, especially in Atlanta, because it's great to see people in an actual classroom again. All right. That's enough about me. On with the podcast. If
1: you learn to work the old way, but the new way what you need, by jobs to make that switch from old to new-
0: Dave Pryor, welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Gil Brose is back. Gil, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well. It's so good to be back.
0: Yeah, it's been a, it's been actually, I think, exactly a year since we last spoke. And yes. you've been very busy. <laughs> so Gil's got a new book called Deliver Better Results, How to Unlock Your Organization's Potential, which we're going to talk all about um, how the book is structured, because it's written in a very unique way, meant to be kind of optimized for people with short attention spans, but who need answers quickly. Um, But before we jump into that, Gil, would you mind doing a quick rundown on your origin story for all the people who may not have listened to the... We've done a lot of interviews together, but um, just in case.
1: So I specialize in helping leaders deliver better results, like the title of the book, by helping them upgrade their organization's agile ways of working. Everybody has some form of it, whether it's by design or they copy-pasted from popular practices or whatnot. Ultimately, it seems that a lot of organizations are, in fact, interested in agility, and that's where I come in to help them take it to the next level.
0: Or or figure out why they want agility in the first place.
1: Well, that too. (laughs) (laughs) And and sometimes what they need is actually a bit of a hybrid. They need some agility with some predictability, which sounds a bit strange, but still uh, workable. So I help those leaders all the way up to CEO, depending on the size of the company, make things better.
0: So that, that's a bit of a departure for you in this book and that you're not um, kind of wholly standing in the agile space. You're trying You try to write it in a way that will reach a broader group or at least speak to a broader group in case they are in hybrid or still partially in waterfall or whatever.
1: Right. And also all those companies, and there's lots of them, that use... Ways of working that kind of look like agile, but they don't call them agile.
0: Yeah,
1: and th- they often have have the same problems, same issues, yeah. uh, same uh, needs to make things more effective, more efficient. This particular book is for any outfit that develops technology.
0: Okay, and, and develops technology, and what? Like, what is the what is the problem that this book is going to help them solve?
1: So the problem is that how they develop the technology, going all the way from idea to delivery, okay. is not the best for them. Yeah. I'm not looking for industry standards. I'm not looking for everybody to become Google or Facebook. I'm looking for, um, I'm looking to help them just get better at it, so that they serve the company better by serving okay. their customers better.
0: Okay. So I want to mansplain some of this back so you can pivot off of it. So a lot of companies out there have a particular or perceive themselves as having a particular problem and they say, oh, we need Spotify. Oh, we need Safe. Oh, we need Scrum. Go go down to the Jira store, buy a box of that. It'll (laughs) fix all of our problems. And what worked at Spotify doesn't even work at Spotify anymore. Mm. So... A solution that worked in one place in certain circumstances may be a good jumping off point, but isn't going to necessarily fix your whole world, right?
1: That's correct. And so even if you don't necessarily say, well, let me see what other people did and and borrow ideas from that. Yeah. It still leaves you with the question of what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say I'm a VP engineering or a CTO or head of product, and we have people, they're smart, we hire well, they are busy, we deliver product. Um, it doesn't break down immediately things seem to be okay but when i go to management meetings they get Mm -hmm. upset with me sometimes and they keep asking me when will this be ready and why can't you give us a proper estimate and what's with all the meetings yeah Uh, you, you know where this goes yeah and maybe the environment doesn't feel as healthy as i would like it maybe we've done a few exit interviews and people told us you know what I don't really like working here, or maybe we keep working on things that don't seem to matter, or there's a whole bunch of problems. Yeah. A leader like this, what are they supposed to do? So if you ask a whole bunch of experts and practitioners, you'll get lots of different answers. You might get mm-hmm. an answers such as, well, look for your biggest problem and fix that, the theory of constraints is one approach to that. Uh, Value stream mapping and looking for the worst waste, that's another. You might do other types of analyses, and so on. Or you might hear answers such as, oh, you're doing Scrum, but you're doing it wrong. You need to do it right. Same goes for every other prepackaged framework. Yeah, I was looking for something different, because not everybody needs to be doing Scrum, or Safe, or Kanban, or Waterfall, or whatnot. I was looking for a way to make those systems of value delivery, that's a term that's going to come up a lot, healthier. Okay. In the same sense that if I want to be better at something personally, let's say I want to run a longer distance than I normally run. Sure. Or I want to be able to, um, I don't know, play with my kids for longer than a half hour without Running out of breath or what not? Mm-hmm. What should they do? Should I eat less? Should I buy supplements? Should I get a coach or a trainer? Um, should they join a running group? Yeah. <laughs> what should they do? This is what the uh, what the book aims to help you
0: with. Okay, so I want to back up wind it back just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Everything you say is making me think of more stuff I want to ask you about. But <laughs> if, I, if I'm going down the theory of constraints path, basically it's the spider uh, to swallow the fly. Like I, I find a bottleneck, I fix that, I push it somewhere else, I just keep chasing that around until basically I've gotten the the bubble out of the sticker, right, so that it's yes. all perfectly flat, uh, which theoretically can happen. And when you talk about seeing the system In looking at the book, I immediately go to value stream mapping. I'm like, that's you're just talking about value stream mapping. But Mm. as you go through it, you're actually, it's not value stream mapping. And I'm wondering if you can talk about the difference, because I think that's an important road into the systems thinking way that you're looking at this, because that's got your own twist to it, too.
1: Let's talk about value streams first. Okay. What's the value stream? Presumably, it's the chain of activities and the delays and stuff that happens in between from idea to production, to delivery. Okay. I have slight concern with this term because the very nature of it sounds linear. Okay. And when you do value stream mapping, you actually draw something that goes from left to right and has the above the line and below the line, and it implies that how we make a difference around here is a linear, consist- consistently linear sequence of activities. Mm-hmm. First, we do requirements, then we do design, and then we do coding, and you know the rest of it. Yeah. But in reality, things are not that linear. Mm-hmm. They're more like a network. In that sense, so yes, you you generally do have certain activities follow others, but it's not like the uh, activities that they followed are now over. Right. Right. I mean, even waterfall is called that because activities follow each other, and if you need to go back and change something, right. now it cascades to the later activities,
0: and and also ripples out into other systems.
1: Ah, which waterfall never said but but we're saying you're saying waterfall is wrong no it's right for a few things Uh, just like agile is not 100 right for everything right yeah but what happens is that you have this type of system Mm -hmm. in which activities take place again largely sequentially but not just in What we want to look at is not even necessarily the activities themselves, but the decisions people make. Mm -hmm. And the decisions that are made at some point in the set of activities may have ramifications elsewhere. Yeah. Right? I mean, we know what happens, for instance, when you uh, test your product. Before delivery, a bit less, and you miss something, and it comes up, in, and there's an issue that comes up in production. You know, everybody is affected by it, from customer service to product to maybe a revenue. Right. Okay, along with. How do managers talk to their people about what happened, and how they want to resolve the thing, and how they want to learn from the thing, and does it set a precedent? And uh, did somebody do things with the best of intent, and now you're reading them the right act, and they're looking for their next job? Yeah. And then we can ask, well, why did you test less than you normally do? Well, maybe you were uh, doing this because there were other pressures going on, not because you were incompetent or lackadaisical, but because you were pressed to do something, or I don't know. There could be lots of different reasons yeah, which are invisible from just looking at a sequence of activities.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're going to put all the, they're going to find some way of visualizing or capturing this, but it's not a linear thing. They have to see how it affects other systems within the larger mm-hmm. ecosystem. Is that a fair way to say it? Like
1: it, it is. What The point I make in the book several times is that you really want to make clear the boundaries of the system that you operate in, which I call the value delivery system, right? This is like in a product company. Yeah. Let's say you have just the one product in the company, Mm -hmm. because if you have several, you have several systems. And in this one, you have a whole bunch of people, contributors, management, their ways of working, everything that uh, everyone and everything that takes part in making the end result in deciding about the end result and choosing what goes in and what does not and all of that so I I want the managers, leaders, anybody who cares to understand the boundaries of this thing and manage within it and that's something that in most organizations that I've seen I've worked with over a hundred but I know of a whole lot more most organizations don't do that What they do instead is that they manage locally. Either it's the function or just the dev team or the agile team or the program. But even that is
0: not entirely enough. You need some kind of constraint around the scoping of what you're looking at.
1: That too. And you also want to make sure that you do consider in the system people who actually make decisions that affect it.
0: So oh, I don't make, want to go there. Hold on. I'm still okay. on boundaries. I'm not ready for that one yet. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, I, the thing that I wanted to ask you about the boundaries is if you say that you know we shouldn't do it locally, then I might say, well, okay, if I talk about building software, now I have to think about how we're going to handle funding and all the other stuff that's outside of the team building the software, but that's part of this larger thing that we have to consider but at some point i have to draw lines and say yeah but we're not going to think about this or like i if i don't create a box mm-hmm. to work in it extends infinitely
1: correct okay. so for instance funding let's take that yep. as an example okay in many situations the funding is is external to the system mm-hmm. okay now leaders in the system can say if you want us to do this much, we're going to need more funding, but ultimately it is something that is determined for them mm-hmm. from the outside for a whole bunch of reasons that actually have nothing to do with, you know, it's going to be this feature or that feature, this
0: customer yeah, that it's customer. an immovable constraint.
1: Exactly. And so this brings up another um, term that's, you know, <laughs> very uh, ubiquitous in the book, which is fitness for purpose. And so within the constraint of the funding, how much money you actually get for you know hiring and business as usual and all those things, yeah. how can you operate in a way that is fit for purpose, which in plain English is helps the company achieves achieve its mission and objectives. And if okay. they cut your funding by half, yeah. you need to change some things. Obviously everybody knows that. Yeah. But you want to change them in such a way that keeps you your system fit for purpose.
0: Okay, so I'm going to give two scenarios here, and mm-hmm. you can pick whichever one you want to yes. talk about. Um, two things I'm seeing happen more and more: companies saying they're doing Scrum, but they don't have product owners or mm-hmm. they don't have Scrum masters. And I'm and I'm assuming there's reasons for that constraint beyond the team. I also see a lot of organizations moving to a sem- safe-ish approach where they're doing quarterly planning, mm-hmm. and the commitment is delegated to the teams who are still busy trying to finish last quarter's commitment before they start right. working on the, and it. And you know how that whole thing goes. So th- the hard part for me is seeing where there's business. there may be business reasons that are totally sound <laughs> for doing this to the teams, but it is screwing up the teams. Yes. So fitness for purpose at what level? At a team level? At a company level? Like who? Somebody's going to be eating the broccoli here. Like.
1: <laughs> okay. So this goes back to the boundaries of the system. And it might be, okay, you, you mentioned safe. That's probably yeah. a multi-team situation. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. So you have okay. several teams. You have program managers, RTEs, call them whatever. You have directors of engineering and product and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You understand the scope, you know who's in. There are constraints from the outside that limit what you can and cannot do. The leaders of the system need to put in place some changes so that the system adapts itself to act within those constraints. If for instance they will not let you whoever they are, they will not let you hire a coach oh, or a scrum master or yeah. a whatever,
0: yeah.
1: How would you solve this in a way that keeps you keeps you fit for purpose? If your teams are generally pretty good with self-sufficiency and understanding what they're asked to do and collaboration, yeah. then maybe that's not a that's a role you can live without. Okay. If they are quite the opposite right on yep. those things then and, and you're not getting a coach or someone, someone else, what can you do? Yeah can you change a bit of the description of what the managers do your project okay. managers uh, some of your more senior individual contributors okay but you can't go on the way it was before because there are gonna they're gonna be gaps
0: yeah okay. So I have, a, I'm going to try something now and you see okay. if it works. Cause okay. one of the things that's challenging about talking to Gil about this stuff is he spent so much time thinking about it that you're like so deep in the water. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> so many things to ask about. So if I can just define the boundaries yes. that we're, we're going to work within, I am redefining local for myself. So mm-hmm. it's not just my team, it's this group of teams or this yes. part of the organization, whatever. Um, fit for purpose within that context Mm -hmm. of whatever we're supposed to do together, these systems that work together. And that's where we get to the decision-making part. That's where I have to know what freedom does this group of teams or group of systems have to reorganize itself, re-coordinate itself, do whatever it has to do so that it is, um, for lack of a better word, optimizing Mm -hmm. its ability to produce value.
1: Yes. And if it means... Yes, 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 and and if it means veering off the book version of the process,
0: yeah, so be it. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> no, I mean, I that's think this important, is good because people people hold that as like, you know, you're doing it wrong. There's there's all the sort of process cops out there. Um, yeah, not me. But but and that's really important because and and a big cultural challenge too. You're saying okay, start, use one of those maybe as a starting place, but we're going to make sure that what we design for ourselves is designed to do what we all need to be able to do, regardless of whether or not we violate some rule of lean or whatever, because we have our own problems we have to solve, and we're going to have the agency and the courage and the trust from the larger company to do that in a responsible way.
1: Yes, and and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to say, "No, we're going to have no, not going to have any of it. They're not going to give us the everything
0: but trust,
1: everything but anything but <laughs> Just trust. Fear. They're not going to empower us. We're, we're, they're going to put our feet to the fire and force us to follow this or that. But yeah. if doing that means that you are uh, less than effective, less than efficient, but still you're following the dogma, what good does it do anyone? Now, yeah. now is the question. Okay. So how do we push back or fight or cajole or anything about this? And this is really why every system needs to have leaders, right? Not leaders just with metrics. No leaders.
0: <laughs> I did that on purpose. I know. I
1: know. I, <laughs> I know. No, but but we need leaders who are working on making the system fit for purpose, not just moving work along. Yeah. Not just holding people accountable and all of that stuff.
0: So, so all right. I was just about to say outcomes over outputs, but if we say outcomes in the context of what you're talking about, the the I kind of want to make the argument that the product that's being created, you, a product would be considered fit for purpose. The product is a system
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is producing valuable whatever. Yes, it's it's churning out products mm-hmm. that hopefully do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But you're taking this like meta-level view of this ecosystem is producing the ability to produce value.
1: Yes. Uh, l- let me say this maybe slightly differently in case people get caught in the recursion
0: uh, yeah. of me not making sense. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. That that actually makes a lot of sense. But it's it's um, it's it's a bit hard to digest. Yeah. We use okay. The term "fit for a purpose" is not a common term, right? It's not something people just use in regular conversation all the time. They don't. Okay. okay, maybe consultants like us.
0: Yeah, but, I was going to say, yeah. I hear people say that all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
1: and I know the, kan- the Kanban community uses it and, and so on. But you're right that it's a term that we usually associate with a product. Does the product do what I need it to do? Yeah. Right? I got myself a cell phone. Does it do what I need it to do? Which nowadays is a whole lot more than making phone calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when it does that, uh, is there low friction, and can I go back easily to things I did before? That does it make the whole experience easy and whatnot? Okay, yeah, right. I'm applying the concept of fitness to uh, fitness for purpose to how we get work done around here. Yeah, specifically the work of building technology, not okay. the work of, for instance, HR or finance or other functions in the company for who also have systems, Fitness for Purpose is also relevant there, but this is not who this book is for. This book is for the super complex, never-repeating, c- totally creative, human-based, crazy work of product development.
0: Okay. Because I was going to try to make the argument for for a second there that depending on the problem that we're trying to solve, that maybe those other groups like HR Mm -hmm. would have to be included and that fitness for purpose. I mean, if you could not hire the right people or retain the right people, then those groups might have to be included. But those groups, their main function is not thing that we're focused on, the product
1: Exactly. Look, the the way systems work, they're always part of bigger systems. So this one is part of the company and systems kind of touch each other and all of that. And of course, you have to manage the boundaries and across the boundaries and all of that. But HR, generally speaking, cannot get into your process of getting work done and make decisions for you. Yes, they will affect who you hire and who you can fire and what you can and move people around and whatever, but your process could be waterfall or agile and th- it wouldn't matter to them. Okay. For the most part.
0: Okay. I want to try to see if I can articulate this because I, I, I think I'm on the same page, but I sort of want to challenge it a little bit too. Okay. Um, those groups, HR, mm-hmm. m- maybe even the PMO, depending on what's going on, they're not part of our system.
1: PMO might thi- be.
0: PMO might be. Might be. Yes. But the things that they do impact our system. Yes. Timesheets. Yes. Right. <laughs> right? The Everyone's great favorite. example, because like, I mean, I have to fill that. I'm like, why, why? Like nobody looks at it. I'm a team yeah. of one, like who cares? But it's part of this process. And I've worked at companies where that was something I had to do like on my own time on the weekend. Timesheet expenses. You do that on Saturday, mm. which is part of a very inhumane system that I worked in. And that affects everything else that I do.
1: Right. But in a system like this, you can turn out an awesome product or a pathetic product, and it's totally independent of did you do timesheets or not, and did you do them on your own time or not.
0: Okay. So when we're studying the system, we have to be able to not just define the boundaries, but define whether or not these if it was a value stream and maybe we're marking out like where are the things that are impeding us. Yes. Some of these things have a direct impact, and some of them are more just like it's kind of a pain in the ass, but Whatever. We can't
1: change it. Or you can think of it as an organizational constraint. I mean, look, the organization's culture in a way, in a big way, affects how successful your system is gonna be. Yeah. What we know from 20 years of you know helping people with agile is that there tends to be a difference between the company culture and what we try to build inside of the product development. Uh, yeah. You know, ecosystem and whatnot. And sometimes they do affect each other and all of that. But ultimately, uh, w- what we're trying to get to is a way of working inside the system that can consistently turn out what the company needs from us. Some things okay. will set us back because maybe we're understaffed and there's sure. nothing we can do about it because there's no budget this year. I don't know. Right Or maybe uh, a competitor just totally disrupted us out of nowhere. We did not see this coming AI, right and and all of that.
0: or some rich guy came and bought our company.
1: Yes, rich guy to change his name. Yes, yeah, yes
0: <laughs>
1: So what can happen is that our fitness for purpose can take a hit, and it's yeah. totally not our fault. We still need to respond.
0: okay. So, Look, if, if, if how ten much agency leave, do we have in that right? system? Sorry? So, how much agency do we have within that system?
1: Yes. That now, it's, it's it's not 100% change. agency. Right. And and the point of the book is not that you should, you know, um, petition for 100% agency. That's not going to happen. You do need to work with executives and stakeholders and steering committees and all mm-hmm. those senior people to... Deconstrain somewhat, yes, mm-hmm. and to kind of let you do your work. But yeah. ultimately, you do need to work within the confines of the system that you're in, okay. which is the organization. The same way okay. the organization needs to work within the confines of a country's laws and GDPR and I don't know what else.
0: Okay. So I want to take that and I want to shift a little bit and mm-hmm. to this other point about people, not process. Mm which is a direct echo out of the Algebra Manifesto. Well, of course, yes. Um, but how does that show up with all this? Because you, you specifically call out the people as like an important thing to recognize as a system, mm-hmm. not just how we're doing the work.
1: Right, yes. So I define the system as the people and how they work, okay. not as the process of work that gets done by so-called resources.
0: All the project managers just did a spit-take all over the floor. So,
1: maybe we can keep them around for a few more minutes. (laughs) Uh, So, people before process. I'm of the belief that change starts with people. Okay. So, your system, your organization, they're made up of people who build something for the sake of people, right? They're managed by people.
0: Yeah.
1: It's people who pay them. So, maybe we should manage things this way. Okay. Now, They need a process, of course. I mean, they don't just stand around and wish it to be true. I mean, maybe in five years with AI, they will, but nowadays they don't. Right. So you have a bunch of people. They work in various ways. That's what I call call the way of working. Yeah. Okay, which is mindset plus process, practices, roles, tool usage, artifacts, meetings, whatnot. That's what we're going to be focusing on. We want the way of working to serve the people, not the other way around. Okay,
0: good. So this is the thing I want to. I want to. Yes. Side detour here for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been doing this stuff a long time. I've been doing this stuff a long mm-hmm. time um i felt like when i first came in coming out of project management there were a bunch of agile guys waving their hands in the air going no man people just do these things naturally that just give them whatever they want you know and it was like i don't live on that commune you know we have to have a way of doing stuff but what i'm finding is that this conversation about creating humane systems for people to thrive keeps coming back up except it's different now it's not just like whatever they want it's Let's be intentional Mm -hmm. and design an environment that honors them and their contribution and creates the space in which they can do amazing stuff.
1: Yes. Now, there was a comment on a LinkedIn post just the other day that maybe the taking care of people is interpreted as... um, Top salaries and free lunches, and that is so not not anymore.
0: No, well,
1: (laughs) I know it's not anymore. But even then, what does it mean to create this type of environment? Yeah, right. It's not loosey goosey, free for all consensus for everything. It's not a bag of
0: cash anymore either,
1: right? But look, you can get a whole lot done even with very little cash. We call this volunteerism. Yeah. Right now. We're not talking about volunteers here. We're talking about people who make a living doing this work and you need to pay them fairly, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that. But then how do you make it possible for them, and I'm not saying motivate, and I'm not saying, definitely not saying drive.
0: Create an opportunity.
1: Yes, make it possible for them to actually bring themselves in and, and do the work willingly. And not just check a box. Yeah. And when we say that the environment is humane, one aspect of it is, yeah, people want to work here. Mm-hmm. But there are other aspects to the humanity of it that are sometimes lost, on lost on people or, or lost okay. on leaders. For instance, the prevalence of fear. And not okay. just in 23, 24, right? Yeah. This concept that people have personal lives, they have so much going on, they travel in many, many circles that are not just work, that affect how they behave, and then you put them in a work situation and they don't quite behave the way you expect them to.
0: Right. How do you deal with that? Because the constraint that's being placed might be psychological. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid if I try something, you're going to come step on my throat, like whatever that is.
1: That, or will I look stupid? Will this reflect badly on me? Mm -hmm. Um, If I help somebody, do I look weak? If I ask for help, do I look weak?
0: I I just got off a a lean coffee where one of the questions was, there's a manager who keeps, after the fact, saying, oh no, I was super clear about that requirement, I can't believe you didn't put it in there, when they never told anybody about it. Like, it's a repeated behavior.
1: So, okay, so we have repeated behaviors. We have also, look, every person has this thing called the model of the world, which is how how they see things, Mm -hmm. how they move about the world, how they make choices in the world and everybody is different right if everybody is a resource that if you call everybody a resource that blinds you to it to the fact that they can have similar skills but they mm-hmm. approach things totally differently
0: so we have to create design sorry I don't want to say create mm-hmm. we have to intentionally design a system mm-hmm. that is focused on removing fear and creating opportunity.
1: Yes. Now, sometimes you won't be able to remove fear much, but you will be able to, you'll be enabling people to act despite it.
0: Can you give an example of that?
1: People might be afraid to lose their job. hmm Which is a totally legitimate fear, right? Especially right now. Of yeah. course, of course. As a leader, you can make it clear for, through various ways, but usually through your behavior, mm-hmm. not because it's on a poster, that if you do things that are in the that you honestly believe are in the best interest of the company, you will not lose your job over this. Okay. So, like we do blameless retrospectives, that's an example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So maybe you brought down production, or you totally made a mess of something okay? We don't want you hiding things. We want you telling us what happened so we can plug the leak and you know yeah. fix it and, and whatnot. Which is um, a scary place to be in, but if you make it clear, and of course there's plenty of examples from the industry of where they actually do that, where you say, no, yeah. you're not going to lose your job over this. In fact, you're going to lose your job if you hide stuff from us. But if you're honest and upfront so we can fix problems,
0: right? tell us. We want to know. And that goes back to the boundaries in decision-making as well, right? Because if I'm the employee, I have to know, like, okay, if I show up at the Christmas party and get hammered and dance on the piano without pants on, I will get fired. But if I run an experiment with the product and we roll something out and the market doesn't respond, that was learning.
1: Yes. Now, if you did this totally on your own accord and you didn't tell anyone and you're being a total maverick, maybe that's okay for their culture. If it's not okay for the culture, then we need to come to some sort of understanding, right? Because we don't want just everybody kind of running like a loose cannon and and doing all sorts of things, okay? Mm -hmm. But if we're saying, we actually want experimentation here, we realize the value of it, we're not even asking you to clear an experiment with anybody. Experiments are welcome. Yeah. Then we want the system to actually act accordingly, which comes across again in how usually managers deal with situations that went south.
0: Okay. And for that maverick, we have to also consider that, you know, it always seems to seem me like there's like the one person at the company that just does whatever they want and mm-hmm. they somehow magically get away with it. But that creates fear for everybody else. Yes. Fear because they're afraid to cross those boundaries because they don't have the cred and fear that the maverick's going to put them out of a job.
1: You know what? It's the same fear people have when they have a person on the team who stays up until 7 or 8 and seems to be wildly productive, whereas they they leave at 5, 5.30, 6.00. Which is kid's team, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so, even though the company technically benefits from the really productive person, their teammates, some of those teammates will be living in fear of, will I look less contributing or less competent or less caring come performance evaluation time?
0: And if we reward the person who stays yes. late, then that creates a system where they may feel like, I have to do this. Yes. To get ahead. Yes. This is like a just. Swamp that never ends stops getting deeper and deeper and deeper.
1: Yes, and, and notice how everything we've been talking about the last what what is it twenty minutes has yeah. nothing to do with the value stream.
0: <laughs> it has all to right, do with. Well, let's th- circle back to the value stream, yeah. but I also want to talk about the intentional mindset stuff too. So we were talking, we started out talking about the value stream. Now yes. we're all the way down in the idea of of creating safety um, and environments for people to thrive. But how does that tie back up to? The value creation process.
1: Okay. So in in the book, I actually explain how I help companies design their way of working. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that you do there is you need clarity. You need to articulate and agree on how we see things and what we're going to optimize for. Those are the ba- beliefs and values, right? So what is our set of, I don't know, 10, 20 beliefs, statements that about the work, the customers, um, or people that we take as true, they are what gives validity to every choice we're going to make from now on. And the other part, the values, is so: what do we want to optimize our way of working for? For instance, if okay. if we are um, like looking at agile in particular, then we're optimized for uh, we're optimizing for adaptation and customer collaboration and frequent value delivery
0: and people first. Okay, if but it can startup, be something else. You're going for experimentation, something like that.
1: Yeah. So it could be right, but this actually goes one level higher than experimentation because experimentation you can think of really as a as a principle of uh, okay. that governs some of your work. Whereas what you're really optimizing for is correctness via discovery. Okay. As opposed to correctness via thinking about everything upfront, which is predictability. Okay. Right. Okay. So um, I mentioned the four agile values. You have the waterfall values, just for contrast. Right. The predictability on time and on budget, standardization, all of that. Uh, So we need to have this articulation of the few things that we're going to optimize our way of working for. Okay. Once we do that, we we want to make this more concrete by identifying operational principles. Experimentation being one of them. right? Right. Um, Agile is big on feedback. That's another one. Another one can be collaboration. Mm-hmm. We can uh, take in, uh, a principle from Lean, which is deferring decisions to the last responsible moment. All of those principles that we pick, they have to be coherent with each other and basically implement what we're optimizing for.
0: So as we're designing the system, we're constantly looking back at those principles or values and saying, is this thing that we're talking about putting into play still in sync with that?
1: Yes, yes. So, you know, just to give you an analogy, when I wrote this book, and actually when I wrote all four books, the one thing I optimize for is practicality. Okay. I want the book to be usable Mm -hmm. Kind of quickly so. I mean, I say it in one word, but of course I have a couple of sentences behind it, right? I optimize my way of working to produce a practical book. Yeah. Not a book of theory, not a book of pontification, but something practical. One of the principles for that is tell a lot of stories. Because people learn really nicely from, oh, they did it this way. Hey, there is an idea here. Yeah. Yeah. Another principle I use, which is going to sound very different, but it serves the practicality, is use a conversational tone. Mm -hmm. When I write conversationally, the message syncs better, I believe. That's a belief, right? And so I think it helps with practicality.
0: And that's you removing all the jargon from the book that you
1: took. Yes. So, for instance, the book does not contain the term socio-technical system. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I, I don't think I even mentioned value stream anywhere except to say that we, as an industry, we don't have a good name for the value delivery system. Sometimes people call it value stream.
0: Right. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, definitely minimize jargon. Right. Yeah. Once we know, again, our model of the world, the beliefs, what we optimize for, the principles, then we customize how we're going to actually do it. Or practices, process, and other tactics. For instance, we want to check our work. We're going to do code reviews, but we're going to do them synchronous, and we're going to do them quickly. We're not going to do pull requests. We're just going to call each other over and say, hey, take a look at this. I was supposed to do x. I'm not biasing. I'm not saying anything else. Take a look. Now let's talk. That's a code review the way we used to do it in XP. right? Extreme a,
0: programming for all you young yes, people.
1: Yes. <laughs> As opposed to pull requests, which are asynchronous and sometimes they drag on for days. Right. Yeah. And we can say, well, we're choosing to do our code review like this because we really want to optimize for quick delivery. And one way to get quick delivery is we quickly check our work. Okay. Okay. And when we're doing all of this design, what we're designing is process team structure team engagement for instance
0: one of the but it's a team that's helping to do this not just like somebody in the PMO mapping it all out right
1: now that's going to depend on the willingness the safety the even to the extent to which people actually care like i've been okay. in places where team members they'll they'll take a process that they feel good about but they're not terribly interested in designing it. Mm-hmm. And you know what that's fine. They're there to produce products not process. I get sure. that. When a team is interested, by all means include them. Okay. Right? At the same time, do this across the system, not just not in every team separately, which is something right. that um you know, in the Agile community, we've done in all sorts of ways, right? Every team to themselves, and that creates a whole lot of issues when you're trying to coordinate them.
0: Can I can I interrupt and ask a question here? Because yeah. I think just popped into my head. Um, in the same way that Safe has like PI planning, where you've got all the teams in there, is this something that you could see could see doing with like all the teams in the system coming together to work on this value delivery? Definition together?
1: So, yes. Something I've done a few times is do this type of work with the team leaders. Okay. And, you know, other managers, directors, program managers, and whatnot. um, Do this as um, a sequence, a small sequence of workshops, like a couple hours each. Okay. And then bringing it to the attention of everybody and seeking additional feedback. Feedback, okay. Yes, uh, because there's something else here. It's not just a matter of caring about process, mm-hmm. but it's also a matter of um, having some sensitivity to if our process goes this way or that way. Here are some of the consequences. Okay. And, and you, you, you do need that. I mean, you don't have to have a consultant for everything, right? But you do need to have, you know, some sensibility about process. Mm-hmm. And usually team leads and managers, they have more of it.
0: Okay. Usually. Okay. okay. So you mentioned that you wrote this book with the intention of making it practical. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the first chapter, which is for anybody listening, the first chapter is like You can download that for free, and, and we'll have the link in the show notes, and I'll, and I'll put it on there for everybody. But um, one of the things that really impressed me was like in the, in the introduction to the chapter, you talk about here's exactly how you, as you put it, choose your own adventure when you're going through this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that first chapter is like a quick hit you can use to get started so can you talk about how that works
1: yes so chapter one pulls double duty it it's both a foundation for the rest of the book but it's also a bit of an executive summary for uh, people who don't have time to read the entire book and the book in fact is written in such a way that you don't have to read all of it my thinking was The typical reader will be a people leader, project leader, product leader, and so on. Um, Probably team lead, manager, director, probably, or uh, right uh, on the management side. And if they want to engage their VP or CTO, CPO, whoever, Mm -hmm. those are busy people. Mm -hmm. And so chapter one is written such that all of these readers can get just enough of what's going on here, understand what the what the message is, right. and have just enough so they can set some changes in motion. If okay. they have more time, they can read other chapters, and there's guidance there. It's, again, a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure uh, right. so that y- you can read 20 minutes or an hour or two mm-hmm. hours and get a lot out of it. Okay. So it's not just, you know, get through as many chapters as you can. It's, it's, not, it's not like that.
0: Right. And, uh, and the, yeah. you've got the different strategies as well. And they're not going to go do them all at once. They're not going to go like, pound through them really quickly. Depending yes. on the problem they want to solve, they'll go to a certain grouping.
1: Yes. And, and that actually is really the, the key piece in the book. And, and we, we haven't talked about this so far this idea that if you want to make things better, Mm-hmm. you need to know what level of fitness your system has right now chapter one shows you how to do this and again our listeners are going to get that yep. once you know your level you go to the chapter that says well if my level is this what do I need to do now and that's two or three strategies that okay. you need to apply throughout the system and each one comes with a how do I know it's enough and okay. once you've done that you will have moved up you will have leveled up What you also need to know is that the strategies from the lower levels Mm -hmm. are actually baked in enough in your situation. So, for instance, if you're at level three, there is a um, total of four strategies from levels one and two that should be in place by now, probably are, or you wouldn't have made level three. Um, But you do do need to check that they're there. And so, again, chapter one has this.
0: Assessment. Now, if I uh, I've worked with a lot of teams recently that have assessed themselves as having a a level of skill that they didn't quite have, Mm -hmm. so if they I say I'm level three and I start doing level three absent of the other things that are supposed to be there, that's going to show up.
1: Oh yes, totally. So Um, it's the type of assessment that can't really be gamed because you're just going to hurt yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like saying again, to to give an analogy from before, if if I want to run more and I say, "Yeah, I run ten ks all the time, I can right. now run a half marathon. But realistically, if I'm truthful, I've only run ten k once, and I and I finished it half dead. So now <laughs> going to a half marathon is probably going to result in injury.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Okay. So the idea with these strategies is that they're sequential and incremental. The sequential nature, reduces the overwhelm of change, right? So we don't do big bang transformation and um, you, you work on them sequentially, but they're also incremental, meaning that it's not like, you know, you do two and you're done, two more and you're done, two more and you're done, but you, you, you kind of build up.
0: Can of, I stop along the way if I get enough business value out of it or is, sure. the, is the expectation they're going to go through all 10?
1: Look, anybody who wants to make things really awesome can go all the way, but realistically, and I've seen this with many clients too, they started at a certain, like let's say, low level of fitness, yeah. and for them, any improvement is welcome and is terrific. Right. And maybe they went from level two to three and, you know, what, that's good enough for now. Okay. Because the fine. dissonance
0: to the next stage might be more than they're capable of emotionally or process-wise handling at any point in time.
1: Maybe. However, this thing is available to them, so they, they can at least know what it involves.
0: Yeah, they see what's next.
1: Yes, uh, which is, to me, this is one of the biggest surprises and realizations from writing this book, mm-hmm. because in the Agile community, we have been so guilty of everything, everywhere, all at once.
0: Yeah.
1: And that We're is all overwhelming.
0: Michelle, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it is overwhelming. It's not sustainable. It doesn't stick well, even yeah. though every element of it is a net positive. So, this is meant to make things better. So, it's not like you have to be running a marathon because that's the yardstick of success by somebody's idea.
0: Let's see if you can get to the point where you can run a 10K.
1: Run a 10K and actually enjoy it. Go out willingly, right? Not injure yourself, not have to get thousands of dollars of physiotherapy after a run, things like that.
0: Okay. So, um, I have two questions. I, I do. We do need to wrap up in a minute, but I, I want to ask if we can come back in the near term and do another conversation about this because the theme in the book that that is really like sticking for me the most is trust. And I want to that that will take a longer time to discuss. But w- would you be open to that?
1: Happy to do a sequel.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I figured if I ask you in the recording, it's pretty. You kind of have to say yes. Um,
1: <laughs> I would say yes anyhow.
0: <laughs> so. What is the biggest takeaway that you want people to have from this book? Like, How do you want this book to change the the world of work?
1: Mm, I love this question. I think in the world of work, we have we see two things. This year and last year we're seeing a lot of inertia. And organizations kind of stuck, frozen, just Doing their Throwing thing, up their hands, yeah, yeah, just doing their thing. But we're also seeing organizations that want to or need to do better. Maybe things are like really broken, but e- usually that's not the case. It's like you know things are are not great, and we know it. And yeah. you know, in business terms, we're less than productive. We're wasteful. We're, we're not efficient. complacent with it, and not just complacent, but it's it's like. You know, we're spending eight, nine figures on our staff doing this stuff, and we're not getting the, the ROI that we should be getting. Yeah. Right? I want this book to help both groups do better. Okay. And to give them this type of roadmap to, here's how we get better without forcing down your throat that it's got to be safe or Kanban okay. or scrum or what have you. Uh, and also without pretending that I know exactly what's best for you. Or how yeah. it's going to end up looking like. Okay. Okay. So there's that. There are three fundamental messages in doing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We've touched on them, but let's summarize. If you want your improvements to be real and sustainable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: effective, efficient, like you want them to stick, you need to have three things. One is putting people first. Mm-hmm. In other words, do all of this from the perspective of, How can we make this right for our people so that they serve people usefully? Second thing is to do all of this in the context of the entire value delivery system, not just the people who report to you, not just the one Agile team, not just the Scrum team, not just the program. Okay. Okay. And the third thing is to do this with an intentional and explicit mindset, which means that, as we make choices during the, uh, while doing the work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we are making the choices that we believe will maximize our successes.
0: Okay.
1: As opposed to, we're following this set of prepackaged <laughs> ideas. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and we hope it will get us what we need.
0: Yeah. Or at least we'll be able to say we did it. That'll <laughs> be it. Okay. Cool. Um. So people can download the chapter. I'm going to have the link to that. Yes. Um, and they can go to 3pvantage.com to yes. find you or find you on LinkedIn. Yes. What else? One, one final word for everybody about the book.
1: People who have read it have loved it and called it a game changer. Mm-hmm. So I would love for more people to know about it. Thank, okay. you for, thank you for helping me do this. <laughs>
0: no, I'm happy to do. I, I mean I, so I, I want to encourage them to li- you've done a couple other interviews about this stuff, and I, I got a lot from those other interviews because everybody's take on it's so different.-hmm. Yes, that's pretty cool.
1: I think this book is very, very different from what's out there. Yeah. You know, I've been in, in, in the agile community for 20 years now, more. Yeah. And this is a little bit different. Even when I had to categorize it for Amazon, I I I didn't quite know because it's not in a niche. It's not in a niche of product or engineering or management like OKRs or or program management or what have you.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, so they can pick up, deliver better results on Amazon, Leanpub, anywhere. You've got links to all that stuff on your website. Okay, cool. Gil, thank you very much for doing this, and I'm going to have links to all your stuff and the chapter in the show notes, everybody, and we'll set up another interview to talk more about how trust is a part of this whole thing. Yes. Cool. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. If you learn to
1: work the